0: Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Leah Cameron, a Toronto writer and producer who most recently worked on CBC's Coroner. Her latest project is the semi-autobiographical web series The Communist Daughter, which she created, ran, and directed. It stars Sofia Banzaff as Dunyasha McDougald, the teenage daughter of two happily married Marxist-Leninists, played by Aaron Poole and Jessica Holmes, in 1980s Toronto, trying to find her way in high school and Western society at large. It's odd and it's charming, and all eight episodes are streaming right now on CBC Gem. Leah picked a movie I've been waiting 330 episodes for someone to bring up, Don McKeller's Last Night, the 1998 drama about a handful of Torontonians facing the end of the world. McKellar plays Patrick Wheeler, a man moping through the last six hours before an undefined cosmic event extinguishes all life on earth. Sandra Oh is Sandra, a woman whose only goal is to make it home to her husband. Naturally, fate has other plans. Callum Keith Rennie, Sarah Polly, David Cronenberg, Jean-Vierre Bougeau, Jackie Burrows, and McKellar's partner Tracy Wright turn up as other characters moving through the story, and the beauty of the script is that they all get just as much consideration as the ostensible leads. Subtle and sweet, and strangely upbeat for a movie about the end of everything, Last Night is one of those films that's intensely beloved by people who recognize themselves and their city inside of it. This is someone else's movie.
1: I actually only saw it for the first time a year or two ago. I think when at the um, at the Paradise, and they were doing that Toronto Plays Itself series.
0: Oh, I, did you stay for the q and A? I I was there. That was yeah. me and Dawn, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, and so... And it's funny because I was like always thinking that like to me last night is kind of like Big Sur, like Big Sur California is a place I'd never been to. But people always when they would talk about it, there'd be like this magic in their eyes but they'd be like, oh, you have to go. And I always felt that it was like that with last night. I'd never seen it. But people were like, oh, it's so many people I trusted were like, it's such a great movie. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I just like really enjoyed seeing it at that um, at the Paradise that night. And. I don't know. There's there's something about it that I've I've watched it a few times in the over the last few months, and um, I think uh, there's just something I find fascinating about it. I love the specificity of it. I love um, that it's unabashedly like I wouldn't even say Canadian. It's unabashedly Trontonian to me. Yeah. And I love. I'm someone who loves specificity. And. There's something, like, I feel seen when I watch that movie, because, like, I'm from a WASPy Canadian Toronto background, and, like, I don't know, there's something with the way people talk, there's something with the un- understated humor that, like, I rarely see on screen, and it's really satisfying. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. So, well, the... the um yeah. The Anglo thing is really unique. I don't know that, I, and I'm I hate it when people refer to filmmakers by their first names. But I actually do know Don a little, so that's inevitable. It's going to happen. Um, <laughs> but the fact that he like his parents are very English,
1: yeah. and
0: he has internalized so much of that, it kind of makes him the perfect person to capture Toronto. And even, like it, it diversity is still a thing in his movies. He doesn't ignore it. It's not overtly white, but. There is a strain of that that runs through the city, as yeah. as you said, that he nails. He absolutely gets it. Like, the idea that his parents are are just the right kind of repressed and the kids aren't. The generational conflict that's going on and the yeah, way it totally. radiates out. But like that
1: his mom wants to have that Christmas dinner. Like, there's just so many, just, like, the way they talk and, like, oh, my God, I know those people. And, like, which is rare to, like, even... Like, I feel like just that like, the way people talk, I'm like, I recognize that kind of like intonation or turn of phrase. It's just like really well observed. And um, yeah. And just like even the box of stuff that his mom is giving them of, you know, cause she wants to like, remember all their happy times. So, like there's just, I don't know. There's so many great details. it. So it's like, Oh, that's probably something my mother would do. But, um, so I love the specificity of it, but I also love that like, it's, it's, it's sort of a big idea done in this Canadian way that I think is also really funny. Like the fact that it is like the last night on earth and um, that everyone just sort of accepts it because there's nothing they can do to prevent it. Like it's not like an American movie where like an action hero would like (laughs) save the day. And to me, so I admire it for that reason. And then also the fact that like it is a high concept in a way, the end of the world, but it's very smart the way it's pulled off and it's completely believable to me. You know, yeah. and even just like the thing with the light, where at least the first time I saw it, I didn't I didn't notice really until a certain point. I'm like, oh wait, it's still bright out, you know, and just that as a device for that there's and they don't really explain it, but that there's something off, yeah. something planetary that's off that um I just think that's such such an economical way to do that. And it's fun watching it with other people because they have the same reaction where they, they finally realize that it's still bright out and they're like, and then it makes you feel smart as a viewer because you feel like you're putting that together, you know?
0: Yeah. The the other thing that I think makes me feel smart now is it's not even smart. It's like a warm, reassuring moment where you realize that his casting instincts were so good that everyone in that film is now someone. Even yeah in people you might not have recognized in passing have yeah. gone on to full careers. I mean, Sandra is obviously the biggest name uh, by dint of American success, but you've just got this wall of talent that just keeps trooping through yeah. and also somehow feeling really Torontonian, really comfortingly local. Like just the fact that David Cronenberg is the voice of the, the hydro man um, because he is inherently soothing, even though he's thanking people for staying with them until the end of their lives.
1: I know. And he's like being dutiful. Like, I also love that it's like this sort of like waspy Canadian sense of duty that he seems to have to like, mm. um, I don't know. Just, there's something about it. it's like, just like doing the right thing that reminds me like my mom won't even steal a postage stamp without <laughs> feeling bad. You know what I mean? Right. That conscientiousness. Um, yeah. I feel like that's, I think the first time I saw it, I didn't realize that it was David Cronenberg. And I think, I think that was like genius casting for yeah. sure.
0: He'd also done um, one of Don's shorts. He's I, I, he's either a narrator uh, or a presence or possibly both in a short film he made called Blue. Okay. Um, and I remember thinking at the time that it was almost like listening to someone narrate a nature documentary. It's about pornography but it's just this magnificent use of Cronenberg's calm. As is, I think he described himself as a human entomologist or something.
1: Amazing. Oh my and God. It, it's so funny.
0: That it's just so casual and observant and normal until you actually realize who's saying it and why.
1: That's really funny. And like kind of restrained or mm-hmm. oh, he's so
0: calm and relaxing. He really is. I just um I rewatched Nightbreed a little while ago for another episode of this podcast, and it was just one of those things where it's like it doesn't it doesn't feel like perverse casting anymore because Cronenberg has been acting here and there for 30 years now, but at the time, and even in last night, it was a novelty that, that he was in it at all. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's and just, did... hmm, Oh no, sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, did Cronenberg have acting training before? Like I just think of him as a director. So I, yeah,
0: yeah. I don't think so. He, um, he pops up, he bursts through a wall and shivers because there was no one else available to do it. I think was, was the explanation, but no, he wasn't. Yeah. Huh. Um, he wasn't trained or or doing anything, you know, equity wise Yeah. as as a filmmaker. He even cut himself out of the fly. He he appeared in a dream sequence as the gynecologist delivering the monster or the Um, OBGYN. I didn't know that. Yeah. But uh, he just, there's something, yeah. There's something about the way he meshes with Tracy Wright too, which is just so, so calm and, and perfect.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think, yeah, another thing I like about it is I feel like it's a it's a movie that I can re-watch because it's it is really subtly told like it's deceivingly like well crafted mm-hmm. like it seems simple, but it's very I think the script is really really well crafted and um so there's just stuff that I pick up on the second and third viewing, like about her character um. Like the first time around, I, I think I kind of got that she was into her boss, but the second time it like really became clear, you know. And yeah. then, like, I don't know if we're allowed to get spoilers, but her arc, uh, yeah That's
0: <laughs> yeah. a twenty-year-old movie. We can. Probably- yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Fair enough. Like, just certain things that make it a pleasure to rewatch. Like, just how, I like, think, I guess, in the opening scene or the yeah, the the Christmas dinner, because like the main character's parents are Patrick's parents are having like a fake Christmas dinner because it's the last night of before the world ends. Um, and so they want to celebrate Christmas to make it like a joyous occasion, I guess. And I just love how there's that moment where like the main character Patrick, um, sort of like makes fun of the fireplace for not being a real fireplace. And it fits with his character because he's like an architect who seems to be sort of a bit dismissive of a lot of things. Yeah. But then later you're like, oh, that's the perfect way to set up the gas fireplace and the gas company. So that later when when the countdown happens and the gas goes out, you're just like, ah, oh, genius. Yeah. <laughs> like, so genius.
0: Yeah, he just finds these little floating metaphors that just pop in the in the course of it. Even the... Just the sense of um, that, Jennifer. Yeah. She's treated as sort of a rave kid almost before there were those. She's, well, that would
1: make sense because it's done in like 97, 98, 98.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And just the way that the movie employs her. I love the way that it has tendrils, that we follow individual storylines that interweave and and it's like roots in a garden or something. I, I'm using a terrible metaphor for this, but it just feels like it's constantly entangling itself in other people's stories so that when one character we know glimpses another one, we're not just thinking about those two characters, but everyone around them, every, yeah. everybody in that scene and where they came from and you know, the the way there isn't a lot of violence, but there is a mob always somewhere rolling around. So there's a sense of tension and threat.
1: Totally. And it's like set up at the beginning. It's like the,
0: um... they, they turn over the car. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then the father mentions all the looting going on. Yeah. And, and Sandra's car gets turned over. Um, yeah. And in terms of it's based on what you were saying about, um, sort of like the tendrils of it and that structure, I find it really interesting. Like I, I personally, am just like really drawn to ensemble pieces. I don't know why I just, I love them. And, um, I'm curious to hear if you what your thoughts are on this, but I was thinking about the fact that, like, that movie came out in, like, what, like, 97, 98?
0: Uh, 98,
1: yeah. 98. It seems like there was a lot of movies then that were ensemble pieces. Oh, yeah. And it seemed to be in the air, and I'm always curious, like, when certain stories are in the air, why that is. Um, and I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that, because there was, like like, Reservoir Dogs kind of had, I guess that's a bit earlier, but still...
0: Yeah. It had well, that
1: sort and, of structure and yeah.
0: Yeah, a part of it was that television wasn't doing it; that the uh, the art had sort of drifted away in drama. Everything was more family based and and focused. ER, I think, was the one that broke the mold, and that would have been what ninety four. It suddenly yeah. introduced a big ensemble cast. But in movies, this is awful. But it was Harvey Weinstein. Like the mm. reason that ensemble films were so popular was, I think it started with, I think, I I mean, predated him. I think it started with Jarmish in the eighties. Um, you know, things like mystery train or stranger than paradise and, and Indies were, there were a lot of Indies that were doing that just because it was easier to, you know, you don't have a movie star to pay for. You have a bunch of smaller up and coming actors and a bunch of locations and you can make the cities attractive and all of that. But then the Weinstein brothers, both of them just, figured out. Remember that wave of movies in the mid-90s and late 90s where you basically marketed all of them exactly the same way with a bunch of young attractive actors in like black t-shirts and, and with white basically yeah. what I'm wearing right now is <laughs> um, yeah. you know like Dean Koontz's Phantoms and all the Halloween sequels that the the Dimension produced. What would happen would be that if you sold a picture to a Harvey Weinstein, he would book your actor for something else almost immediately. Shakespeare in Love is yeah. probably the pinnacle of it, where, right. you know, it is theoretically it's a, a two-hander, but it's got Ben Affleck and it's got Jeffrey Rush and it's right. got Judy Dench and and – they were all doing three other films for the Weinstein brothers at the same time. And that's just what happened. Every, every spring and every fall, there'd be a romantic comedy and every Christmas there'd be a drama, like some kind of Oscar bait thing. Music of the heart with Meryl Streep was another one of those where he just cranked them out. And I think part of it was that it was cheaper because there was never one big star, but also Mm. the concepts could be very, very simple. They could just be, you know next stop wonderland or some romantic comedy for brad anderson or hey michelle williams isn't doing anything for six months let's plug her into well actually a halloween movie so that's a bad example but but you know like yeah, that's yeah. that's how it worked and that was sort of the 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 default mode of the indie film
1: hmm. yeah Maybe i guess I, that's so interesting i hadn't really thought of it from like um sort of like a, a
0: cynical exploitation of actors perspective.
1: No, well, but, but sort of like the more business side of it. I hadn't thought of it in that I I was taking, like, I guess I would have been in high school at the time. And my really good friend and I took a filmmaking class at age at the AGO. Oh yeah. And I remember everyone wanted to do ensemble stuff. And I remember the teacher was like, why is this a thing right now? <laughs> so I guess that's why I remember kind of, Wondering because it was true. Like, and I don't know, maybe people were mimicking Ross of our dogs or something, but like at my high school, you know, students were all writing plays that had sort of ensemble casts like that. And anyway.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a way to use most of your friends too, right? To yeah. everybody, <laughs> nobody feels left out. Yes. And yeah. yeah. And at the QA, I, I'm at the Paradise, I'm pretty sure. Don's argument for casting himself was that he just couldn't find anybody else, that he, he wasn't looking to star in the film. And if mm. you watch his scenes, you can see the coverage sort of goes away from him more often than not because he wasn't that confident in his ability as an actor.
1: That's interesting. I feel like his character is, is really compelling just because it is sort of, um, like he has sort of oppressive protagonist, which is to me, what kind of makes the joke of the premise so funny. Like this yeah. idea that Canadians would sit back and not sort of, stop the world from ending but I also think it's really effective too because that character is so restrained so that at the end when him and Sandra talk and he shares that he like lost this woman and and he opens up it's even like more effective I think because he's been so restrained up to that point it's just really I don't know I, I find that it like really makes me it's very effective. It's like very emotional. And I think that's another thing I like about it is as a film is it's like, there's, it's funny, but it's also touching and it's absurd in places. And so I think that's really, I don't know how he did it, but that mix of tones, like it all seems to like work really well together. And I was even thinking about the, like the the Guantanamera song, like the Pete Seeger album. Like, I love how when it's, like, first introduced, it's in that box of, like, things that his mother gave him, you know, mm-hmm. like, of presents from Christmas's past or, like, things from from his past that to remember. And it's, like, passed off as a joke, kind of, you know. And then, and he sings it super awkwardly, <laughs> Sandra oh, which is, like, a really funny moment when he sings a song. Then you see it and this is what I mean about it being subtle. I didn't notice the first time I watched it, but then when you cut back to his family home, those older women are watching these like home videos on the TV screen near the end. And you see him as a kid unwrap the album. Yeah. So then it's like this touching thing. And then that's the song that's like played at the end, like at the, the end of the movie when the world's going to end and So I just love how like this one detail is like funny in one moment like touching in another sort of like romantic in another. It's just like, yeah. Um,
0: It's like facets being turned over in a gem or something. You just depending on how the light hits it. Right. It has a different response.
1: Yeah. And again, I think it makes you feel like smart as an audience member. It's like, there's a a directing teacher of mine who um, one of the things he says is that I I really believe is that he thinks that cinema is really effective when it's sort of like two plus two equals five. Like you put some elements out there and you let the like audience members connect the dots, you know? And yeah. so, and I feel like this film does that really, really well where it's letting you put together um, like, you know, it's an ensemble piece of certain characters cross paths. Right. So when, Don McKellar's character, they, they go to his friend's house to get Sandra O's character that green car, right? And then she's driving the car to try to get across the city to see her husband. And and then she's mobbed. And this man came, uh, someone's about to attack her. And then this man comes up and like picks up a shovel and like smashes the guy who's going to attack her in the head. And then you realize that that actually is Patrick's, this Patrick's sister's boyfriend right, who just yeah. saved Sandra. And Sandra doesn't know that. And the boyfriend doesn't know that, but we know that as an, like as the audience. And so like, I just think those kinds of things are so satisfying. Cause you're like, Oh, I'm smart. I'm piecing this together. And it makes <laughs> you a participant, it makes you a participant in the movie, which I, I really love that kind of experience as a yeah. viewer. You know,
0: it's also reassuring on repeat viewings that all of the people that Patrick interacts with, with the exception of Craig, who is absolutely just a sleaze bag are good people. Like we get to see that, we get to see that Jennifer picked a good dude for her boyfriend, that he's willing to do that and jump in and save someone. And it speaks to, it's the, it's, you know, I've been, I've been trying to articulate this for, for months now because, because, that last night screening was January of last year. And, you know, two months later, we found out that actually Canadians are not all capable of banding together and doing the right thing in times of crisis. And the optimism that he has, that that McKellar's movie has, as opposed to what Patrick has, which is kind of this cracked sense of hope that he refuses to engage with. But the movie is genuinely optimistic about the end of the world, which was something that yeah, we talked about it on stage, I'm sure, because I always ask him about it. It's it's absolutely fascinating to me that, see, this was part of a larger uh, project that um, mm. I'm going to butcher the title of the company. There's a French production company called uh, Hoikor that commissioned. I think there were eight originally. There were only six produced. Most of them are short. They're under an hour. Hal Hartley mm. made the American one, The Book of Life. Um, Uh, Simon Lang did one I think the whole is his was the contribution but they were all about the millennium and last night was the one that has endured I think because it's not a metaphor like it full-on engages with the subject and it's the only one of the six that does Hmm. and it's incredibly of all of them it's also the most positive it's the one that thinks on some level, it's going to be okay. Death isn't presented as something horrifying um, or something to be dreaded. It's just, uh, and I think it's because of the Canadian-ness of it. I think it's because um, the resignation has long since passed and we're into acceptance. Uh, he had, he said he never explains anything specifically. He he wants the implication to be that there's something wrong with the son. It may not be anything we did. It's just something that's happening. But whatever it is has been coming long enough that everybody has already gone through the worst of it. And so what you're seeing are a bunch of people just sort of shambling towards the end. But because it's Toronto, we're doing it together. And that's like, that's beautiful. I don't know that he knows how optimistic that is. It's certainly not now, not after the last 10 years in Toronto. But there was a point in time, you know, where the province was beating the crap out of us. Mike Harris and, and Ernie Eves were making terrible decisions that made things worse for the city. And we genuinely did feel like it was just us against them. And so for this yeah. movie to come out at that point, of course it's optimistic because you have to believe that. Otherwise it's just a Mad Max movie. Like it's yeah. People running around getting sunburned and dying.
1: Yeah, no, it's interesting because it, in a way it's, I mean, I was sort of thinking about it and how it really sort of looks at like, different ways that people could want to spend their last night on earth. Right. Yeah. And I think it kind of hits a lot of like the major themes is like, do you believe in God and do you pray? Do you not believe that in that at all? And do you just want to be by yourself because you've already lost somebody? So what is it? Does it, does any of it have any meaning? Um, do you want to party like yeah. the sisters? Like it's the greatest new years of all time. Do you, you know, um, you know, Sandra O's character, I guess is more romantic. She wants to be with a man she loves, you know, and, or do you want to have sex or lose your virginity? Yeah. (laughs) You know? And so I think it's kind of great. Like, and it's, it's subtle, but when you step back and like, it's subtle in the execution, but I feel like when you step back and look at it, you're like, these are like all the big themes of like, you know, um, and I don't know what the what the why he chose that song, um Guantanamera, but it's like that song is very much about like choosing to be a good human being, right? Yeah, like at the end of it all, were you a good person?
0: I, I wrote a piece for um, CBC, the uh, uh, Joanna Schneller's show The Filmmakers in the First Season did an episode on Last Night and I was part of the panel um, and they asked me to write the essay the accompanying essay because the critic always is supposed to do that and I realized that I'd never really written about I reviewed it when it came out but I'd never really written about it at length and this was almost 20 years later it was 19 years after the release and that was basically what I came down to as well It's the it's a thought experiment in its way but it's asking the audience like what would you do And then I realized that that question is the question that every one of McKellar's movies is about. It's always about personal action. Like everything he does comes back to it. Even through Black Spruce is ultimately about uh, one sister choosing to go and look for another. And, you know, you can argue that every dramatic narrative is based on action on someone deciding to take action, but there are plenty of stories where people don't act and, this one last night is the one that crystallizes and forms it at the same time. It's the best expression of his thing because everyone is constantly being asked that question and how they respond dictates literally the rest of their lives.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's really, yeah.
0: It's heavier than it looks right. Like the whole, the whole movie, the minute you start thinking about it it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. I, I love that about it.
1: Totally. And that there's like a, it's like, the dialogue is like spare. Like, I just feel like there's, it allows you room as a viewer to keep like peeling back the onion, Mm -hmm. which is like why I think it's a movie I can rewatch. And yeah, I think. And like I was saying earlier, like before I saw the movie, anyone I talked to whose opinion I respected would be like, oh, it's so great. And they just like have this look in their eyes where I'm like, okay, I (laughs) I, need to see this film. Um, and I think it's because it engages the audience in that way, that it lets you, it, it asks you to think about these
0: things, you know? And It doesn't insist on anything, right? Like it doesn't have a message, I don't think. It doesn't press one down on you. You're, you're left in the void. You're just left to contemplate it. I, I loved that experience with the audience. From the conversation afterwards, it felt like about half the room had seen it mm-hmm. and half were coming to it fresh. And just because it's been so hard to find for so long, Yeah, Uh, which is just insanity to me. The the idea that, I I mean, I said it at the time, I've been trying to get it into the Criterion collection. I think it should be there.
1: It should be there. It's not, huh?
0: No. It might show up on the Criterion channel, but for years and years, it was owned by Lionsgate and Universal, and Lionsgate didn't have a relationship with, they still don't have a relationship with Criterion. So uh, they might sometimes license a digital version, but not a disc. I don't know Hmm. why, and it's very frustrating. But um, that was like pretty much from the get-go something I was trying to accomplish. Just because I know them fairly well, that's like, cool. You know, you don't have a lot of Canadian movies, and just Cronenberg. Maybe this, maybe this would be good. Look who's in it. Everyone's in it.
1: Yeah. Well, it's funny because like I'm I'm taking a directing class online right now with a a teacher I I who taught me in film school, um, and he's based in L.A. So it's one of the great things about the pandemic is that i can actually take a class with him because he's offering it on zoom oh cool and uh and i i told him that he needs to see it and it's just like it's interesting to me because it's sort of like this cult movie right that like um and i described it to him as like i was like it's like antonioni's red desert but a comedy set in toronto about the end of the world like that's what it feels
0: like to me that's about right It is so specific, I think, that it could have only ever become a cult film. Like, you can't make this movie happen. You couldn't make it a hit. It was like the Toronto Film Critics Association voted the Canadian Film of the Year in 98, which was great, Um, which Don has repeatedly pointed out uh, at our galas that was before we started awarding the ridiculous prize. So he just got a handshake, and he's still mad. (laughs) I think he's still mad about it a little. He's, like, mad about it? (laughs) I mean, he's He is just the, he's the best person. He's a Toastmaster. Like he really is the best person to have in one of those situations because he will find a way to work the room and poke at it and, and make it personal. He's he's wonderful. And this movie has all of those things. Like it is Don McKellar. And that's, I think, why it could never be massive because it's such a specific Canadian taste.
1: Well, like, and that's it- what I think is interesting is like, I I have this, like, I love to kind of compare... Canadian and American reviews sometimes. Oh, yeah. And I find it funny because I think if you read American reviews, you can tell they're just a bit confused by it. Like there's sort of like Roger Ebert or whoever wrote the review for Ebert um, mm. just sounds like slightly confused by it. Whereas <laughs> like, because, because to me, there's like these, these references you can only get if you're from, if you're Canadian or you're from Toronto, like just like the fact that like Mel Lastman square is mentioned and that there is like, everybody's turned up to play like Randy Bachman songs together or like, but like, to me, it just reminds me of being in high school and like it's new years and you're like, the movie has a bit of that feeling of, it's like, it's new years and you're just like wanting to find the best party, but you can't. And like one of your friends wants to go to mill Aspen square and that's kind of shitty. And you're trying to like get a cab. Like it has a bit of that kind of feeling to it. And so, (laughs) um, so it feels so specifically Toronto to me. And then like, yeah, those jokes about Mel Aspen Square. And those are kinds of things that I think, unless you're from here, it would kind of go over your head, you know? Yeah.
0: I wish um, it was me. I cannot take credit for this, but someone did once say everyone in it is like someone you would see at a tra- in the line for a Tragically Hip concert. <laughs> it might've been Don, actually.
1: That's interesting.
0: But it is. Like, it's the most Anglo-Canadian thing you know, there's like Arsene's there, and Sarah Polly is there, yeah. and oh yeah, like Callum Keith Rennie—he was on Battlestar Galactica for a while. Of course, he's Canadian. Like all these little things that slot into place, and and you know, Callum was in Hardcore Logo, and um, they all had this—they all had credibility at the time. Like they were all just coming out of a bunch of other stuff. Uh, I don't think they'd made Twitch City yet, so Don was probably the one that no one knew. Yeah. But if you were in Toronto, you knew who he was because he was this emerging filmmaker. And to see it, I I just, how many first features are this well-formed and this, this, and have this sort of goodwill? The only other, it's not, it wasn't a first feature, but the, the only other Canadian film I've seen that has replicated this experience was Trigger, was Bruce Mm. McDonald's movie with, with Molly Parker, um, who's like notably absent in this from, from everybody else. Somehow they just didn't have her yet. She (laughs) was in Vancouver doing Suspicious River or something like that. We just, we missed the window. Um, but if she was in this, it would be the most Canadian project ever made. Yeah. Um, But, but when trigger of course was made when, when Tracy Wright got sick and, um, that was her, her last hurrah really, it's this labor of love in the same way. And a lot of the same people show up, uh, Callum's in it, Sarah Polly shows up for two Mm -hmm. seconds and there's just this sense of like, it feels like a bookend in a weird way to me. And, and you know, I can't say I ever really, I ever knew Tracy right. Well, we would, we live in the same neighborhood and we would run it like Kate and I would be out walking our dog and we would pass Don and Tracy on their way to something and we would nod and smile. And then it all just happened so fast that it was like she was ripped away. And and mm-hmm. in some strange way, having last night be there and showing her as a reactive actor, like just letting us see, letting us watch her do very little and so much at the same time. is such a, it's such a pleasure to mm. be able to revisit that and see who she was and what she did. And then something like trigger where it's much more verbal and, and she's like, you know, she's giving a, f- a full performance is, is great as well. But you just, in both films, you feel the goodwill of everybody pulling the string, pulling the rope to yeah. make the thing happen.
1: Yeah. And I, 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 feel like that when there's an alchemy like that, you can see it on screen, Yeah, you I know? Think so too. Um, yeah. And I think that's a rare thing. And I mean, I could imagine, it and I wasn't on set, but I, I feel that when I see it, like it just, it feels like there was like a, some kind of alchemy happening and a trust, you know, between the people that made, made the film. I haven't seen Trigger, so, but I'll put it on
0: my list. Yeah, know? it's good. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I think it's obviously sadder now than it was at the time. Mm-hmm. It was melancholy and now it's full on tragic, but it's still good. It's just a, it's an encapsulation of talent, and potential and why someone was as well-loved as she was, I guess, and, Mm. and all of that stuff. And again, because it's a Toronto project, you just, you know, you come away knowing so much more about it and feeling, feeling so personally invested. I, I wonder how a Vancouver apocalypse movie would play for me. Like, I'm sure I would still be, my heart would be open to it, and I would still know most of the actors involved from from decades of their work. But it wouldn't be like it's not the same. That streetcar yeah. is a real image, right? Like I know
1: that streetcar image is like well, and also then like pushing over the streetcar too.
0: Yeah, we it's would like that's rude. We would never do that.
1: I know it's like so visceral and great, but like yeah, it's funny and like that streetcar that image, like that wide shot of Sandra O. Oh walking toward camera. With like the streetcar like left of frame and she's sort of balancing right of frame. And then you've got the tracks, like one point perspective. Yeah. Is like amazing. And that's what makes me think of Red Desert. It like makes me think of the woman in the green coat. Sure. Walking around this ap- 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 apocalyptic gray sort of yeah. It's really iconic. I like I post I like posting film grabs that I like. And I posted that one the other day. And so many people who haven't seen last night were like, what is this? What movie is this from? Yeah, and they're like, and Sandra was in federal,
0: isn't it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm trying to remember. I know Don told the story. I think it was when we covered it for Now. I mean, again, right? Like Last Night has been in and out of my life for as long as it's existed. Uh, you can't be a Toronto entertainment writer and not touch on it here and there. But uh, now, magazine did a like the 25 best Toronto films, and Last Night was number one, mm-hmm. rightly so, and. So I didn't actually get to write about the movie, but I did interview Don about it. And he said that that image, which became the poster, like the, the streetcar and, and Sandra, um, he had to fight for that because nobody else knew what it meant really the Toronto streetcar people asked him if it was science fiction and he said well it's science fiction because it's the end of the world but no those are real that's like it's not a it's not a shuttlecraft
1: right because people associate it with like San Francisco or other yeah cities. is that just, why maybe yeah or, it looked futuristic
0: yeah. it looked weird and wrong yeah and I love the fact that our new streetcars are even more futuristic
1: like, yes they don't,
0: they don't look real
1: yeah they don't I know and I think that yeah I like I get really passionate about showing Toronto for Toronto or, or any place for itself. Like, I I just think that there's, there's something so great about the specificity of any place, you know? And I think, I just have a theory that a lot of Canadians don't know what here is sometimes when they, like, and, I mean, we're seeing Canada playing itself more and more, mm-hmm. which is great, but I feel like just like an, an ear for the way people talk or... I love that kind of stuff. You know, like I never wanted to go to small town, Texas until I watched Friday night lights, you know? Okay, yeah. And I don't care about football at all, but there's a specificity to that show that like, I think makes it really compelling. And yeah. So I just get really excited when I see that kind of specificity on screen. And I don't care if it confuses people about a streetcar. <laughs> so what they can learn.
0: Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Film is a teacher. That's what it's for. So um, to that end, I guess, uh, is there anything of last night that's worked its way into your own projects? I mean, have you referenced it or drawn on it? It seems like the kind of movie that would be hard to pull from directly just because, you know, you'd have to be working in the same genre almost.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't say for the communist daughter uh, that there's anything. No, I wouldn't say for the communist daughter that there's anything specifically that I've pulled from last night. I, I, I actually think I watched last night after I'd already written the pilot for this and after I'd already conceived of the communist daughter. So uh, no, is <laughs> <laughs> but I am, I am working on something. I, I mean, I don't want to say too much cause I don't want to jinx it, but sure, sure. a feature film that all I'll say is I want to set it in Toronto in the winter and I want it to feature a lot of brutalist utopian buildings. Yeah, that's true. That I think are like a really we, Toronto thing. Um, we have
0: not talked about the the layout. Sean McAuliffe listens to this. He's going to be so mad at me. The, um, the Jackie Burroughs running tour through all those amazing buildings, uh, which I will occasionally, because I live in Little Italy and I get up to the annex every now and then and you just see three or four of them. And it's just like, there's nowhere else that could produce these. These strange, the flying saucer one on Walmart. Oh my God, yeah. And it's like,
1: I, I think what's, so funny to me is like I went I lived in LA for like five years and it's one of those things that when you come back like I'm from here and when you come back you start to see things like with a fresh perspective and when I shot the teaser for the communist daughter um I was just like talking about the aesthetic of the show with one of my really good friends and we were talking about the fact that Canadian cities have this like you know Montreal has it as well like this utopian architecture that is not an American thing yeah. And it's funny to me in a show called *The Communist Daughter* because it's about my dad being a commie in Canada, <laughs> and Americans think we're all you know, or Fox News viewers think we're all pinkos. So to me, it's like this visual joke of like this architecture that has this slightly like Soviet feeling. But it's Canadian. Yeah. Um, there's something I think is really is really funny about that, and it didn't end up in the web series because you know we just couldn't afford to be like. Um, to put that in there but it's something that's obsessed me after the fact so I'm like I kind of want to do something that's set in like a Soviet a weird Soviet Toronto <laughs> like Kieslowski's The Decalogue but a comedy set in Toronto in the winter
0: oh that sounds fantastic
1: well we'll see I haven't I haven't written it yet but
0: <laughs> um no. do like yeah. you say The Decalogue and all I think of are the apartment buildings I mean of course you could do that here
1: oh yeah like Young and Davisville I don't know there's like this set of apartment buildings I'm obsessed with because it looked like it looks like you're in Poland and there's like these weird like sculptures outside and like fountains that have this like Soviet feel and I'm like uh, yeah so I'm like the, thinking of are yeah. these the
0: ones on Lascelles because I lived there
1: yes yeah they're the ones on Lascelles yeah I, like, I lived there for 10 years all the time yeah uh,
0: I was there from 93 to 2003 I think yeah yeah, it was it was great because I mean they're huge apartments. I had a two bedroom with a massive office. It was wonderful. And yeah. they weren't expensive. And they were a good 15 minutes from anything because you could yeah. not access them from young. You had to walk in from a side street. And yeah, they felt it felt like you were walking into 1957, no matter when you got there.
1: I know, right? And then <laughs> I'm like obsessed with them. I've been photographing them and like, like trying to think. I'm like, do you know that weird structure that's outside one of them? It's yeah. like I'm obsessed with it. I'm that like, was that was my build, my building was the one here. in the middle
0: of those three. Um, yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So my yeah. boyfriend lives the one, the one to the very east, I guess. Uh, and I'm that, obsessed with that platform. I want. I don't know what it is that I want to shoot there, but I want to stage something <laughs> on that weird platform because it's just like it's so strange to me.
0: Yeah. It um, was. It was a fountain, but it never worked when I was there.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh my god, that's so great. That's yeah. And it's so, such a tiny city.
1: No, for sure. But it's like, that's the kind of, thing. and I think it's also when you live somewhere else and you come back, like I would come back from LA and, and everyone, like I, I'd be at Davisville station. I'd be like, why, why is this not interior? Like, Why is this an outdoor station? Yeah. Why? It's cold here. It's six months of the year and everybody's got like chapsticks and it's trying to like moisturize themselves. It's just like this thing where you're trying to get like moisture back into your body for like six months of the year and buying humidifiers that break and like. Yeah. I don't know. I'll, there's like comedy to me and all that. And like, I, I still remember coming home and it was one of those days where there was a ton of snow. And like, I walked down like the main street near my parents' house and went into this pastry shop and it was like howling wind and the snow was like blowing sideways. And one guy came into the pastry shop behind me and he's like, well, totally cheerful. But it it's like, you know, it's not that bad. You just have to walk backwards. <laughs> and I'm like the stuff that we justify. <laughs> that we are like oh, this after living in California i was like the stuff that we are okay with so that we can call this place home is like funny to me
0: yeah it's wonderful to see anything that celebrates toronto as toronto because we're so used to not having that like you know i'm 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 the film critic who giggled all through death wish 4 where they tried to make the same intersection of bay and richmond mm-hmm. like they tried to represent that as four different locations in new york city <laughs> because that kind of looks like Manhattan there when the light is right. Right. (laughs) And to just see Toronto be Toronto and Torontonians be Torontonians and, and acknowledge that we are kind of weird and specific here. Yeah. Totally. That's something, something, I mean, we need more of it. He did it with Twitch city immediately after. And, um, which is as accurate, uh, like tonally accurate, a portrait of Kensington market as I think I've ever seen. And I lived there for 13 years. Yeah. Um, and it's it, in a weird way, like if last night, like it did get out, it played internationally, but it didn't register on the same scale. Like it feels very much like a homegrown treasure that we keep close to our hearts. And then like, like you, we, we get to introduce people to it later. It's the kind yeah. of thing I was just saying on, on Twitter today on some unrelated thing, like you cannot make a cult movie on purpose. I, I think you can try, but everyone can feel it. And they mm. they play as needy somehow or overly um, like it's all just too much. And if you do something like this and it's quiet and it's honest and it somehow rings true with people, it never goes away.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think like, yeah, if something just comes from an honest place Then it's, I mean, it's not a guarantee it will be evergreen, but I think a lot of like evergreen. Um, so I hate that. That's such a marketing word, but like, know, yeah. I mean, but I think things that do stand the test of time often is is just because it came from, like, an honest place
0: of some kind. Yeah. I mean, he is making a movie about mortality and and legacy and continuity, even though it never really comes out and says so. It's just, it's always there. That kind of anxiety is something that feels very specifically Toronto, too. In what way? Well, just the sense that the city is always changing I mean, even more so now this year with everything, you know, like restaurants going out of business and and everything shutting down. But Toronto is sort of at war with itself. We want to be progressive, but we keep electing conservatives. We don't want to have that conversation, you know, about the 30% of people who will always back the right wing guy, no matter what's going on. And it's always a guy. Uh, And how we keep generating that. And we're supposed to know better. And then, you know, Rob Ford kind of ended that superiority complex. But the the result of Rob Ford was that we got John Tory, who is really not very good at anything other than, you know, looking like a mayor, which was how he got elected. His whole thing, his whole platform was, you know, elect me. I'm not him. Yeah. And then things haven't gotten better, really. We have counselors who are trying to fight the good fight. But, I mean, obviously I'm a, a full-on left-wing pinko. I have the button yeah. from, from the, I have the button from 2010 from spacing. Yeah. Uh, but we yeah. are like, we are convinced that we are better than this and over and over again, we're proven that collectively we're not really.
1: Yeah. But I get, I think that goes back to the, like the mega city and. Oh yeah. The, the, the fact that the, you know, the power now lies in the nine Oh five in terms of, and that's culturally has different needs than the downtown does. Right. So yeah. um, and yeah, I think that's too bad, right? Because when was, I mean, Crombie was like an example of like such a progressive mayor.
0: Yeah, and that then, was
1: the 80s. I know.
0: Yeah. But that's um, what I mean about last night. Like it rises up out of that period when
1: the yeah. megacity was
0: happening and we were all pushing back against it and trying to, like it's it's the version where we win. Like we are a Toronto the good, but we'll right. <laughs> get wiped off the face of the earth. Right.
1: Right, right. I never thought about it like that, that way, but that's interesting in terms of the context of what was going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, the reason I wrote my show is my dad was always running and never winning, but I was running for election <laughs> um, and very involved. So I remember that mega city um, period very well. I think he had a shirt that said mega shitty <laughs> and he was <laughs> very adamant about um, not wanting, you know, fighting amalgamation and, keeping garbage collection public and um, like all of those, all of those city issues. Um, Yeah, it is. It is an interesting thing how it feels like the city has changed in, in a lot of ways, like, you know, like there's that condo going up on DuPont called Bianca. Oh yeah. And I just like to, I don't know. I always imagine it being like staffed by like 11 Ivanka Trumps. Like I just imagine (laughs) if you go into the, the sales center, like that's who would be behind the counter. And it makes me sad because, that, like, that weird psychotherapy center is being torn down, which is, like, that. a remnant of, like, 60s Toronto. Like, it's, like, this weird space where you go inside and it's, like, everything is wood paneled. And it, anyway, and, you know, it's the kind of place where there'd be, like, dusty spider plants, like, hanging everywhere and... I feel like we're just like, you're just seeing less and less of that, you know, like the planetarium I think is being taken down now too.
0: Yeah, I saw the plans yeah. the other day. Yeah, or the artist rendition I guess it was, and it looks fine, but it won't be the planetarium where someone once made a short film and referred to it as the Canadian egg repository and got the biggest laugh from an audience that I've ever heard. <laughs> because only we know that it isn't, and that sounds completely <laughs> believable. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, those were that was was a different time. Um, Yeah, I I really am curious to see where we go after this as Toronto, Um, because I want it to be worth saving. Like I want us to be worth saving as a species, which I think is the message of the movie as well. That you know, we aren't. Mm -hmm. At least this one wasn't our fault. At the end of last night, whatever happens, (laughs) right? We didn't. It wasn't a war. It wasn't a plague that someone unleashed. It's just the world going away
1: it's just happening yeah
0: Yeah. and that again like that's the most Canadian thing that you can imagine
1: yeah you're just kind of like powerless in the whole thing you just kind of have to go along for the ride yeah yeah that makes sense
0: guess that's what's going on now at least we can have a sing-along
1: yeah it's 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 fun talking about it's just interesting to see like why certain movies compel us you know like why we're drawn to certain stories
0: my thanks to Leah Cameron whose delightful new web series, The Communist Daughter, is available in its entirety right now on CBC Gem. To stream. For free. Go watch that. And then, you know, maybe look up Sophia Banzaff and Aaron Poole's episodes of the podcast. They were pretty good. You can find Leah on Twitter at LeahFCameron, all one word. And you can still find Last Night on DVD out there somewhere, used mostly, in a really disappointing transfer. It's also streaming on Amazon Prime Video and Crave in Canada, though neither of those transfers is the restoration either, Although apparently it's in HD if you buy or rent it on Amazon in the U.S. or Apple TV in Canada. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com, where I'm hosting a bunch of podcasts these days and writing the weekly Now streaming newsletter, to which you can subscribe at NowToronto.Substack.com. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-C-A-S-T, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps, it truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're there. Stay inside, watch movies, wear a mask if you go out. I'll see you next time.